Let me ask you now, if you have a Bible, to please open it to the book of Romans, chapter 12. And today we're sort of stepping back into a series of messages uh, on biblical foundations for change. In other words, to experience deep transformation, what are we supposed to do? How is that supposed to happen? How does that work? And we talked about a number of different ways that scripture presents we can experience uh, change and transformation from inside out. But today we're going to talk about community and how community that is Christian is the best incubator there could ever be to bring about transformation in our hearts. Today we'll be reading from Romans chapter 12 beginning in verse 9 and reading to the end of verse 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We do pray today that it would truly be for us in this hour a lamp unto our, our light unto our path, and a lamp unto our feet. We pray that as your word goes forth from your mouth, it will prosper where you send it, and it will produce fruit in us that will redound to your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul, in this same chapter, says the following. He says, Christians, in Romans chapter 12, verse 5, are members of one another. We are members of one another. And this goes much deeper than being a member of a club. Uh, I belong to a fitness club. Uh, right now you can hardly tell, but most of the time uh, I do okay with it. I belong to a fitness club called Lifetime uh, Fitness Club. And some people call it Life Crime Fitness Club because it's so expensive. But I get a discount because I'm a senior. I mean, how can you beat that? 
And uh, so as a result of that, their whole mantra, if you want to call it that, or their narrative in selling you on their gym is it's not just a place to exercise. This is a place for community. This is a place where you can have meaningful relationships with other people. This is a place where you can sit in the spa together or, or sit in the sauna together or you can do everything together. And so it really reinforces the basic human need for community. But I don't think anyone that goes there believes that they deliver on what they promise. They have recognized a wonderful need. Some of my fellow members believe that corporate greed far overshadows any sense of human connectedness because the prices keep going up. Uh, one of the presidential candidates of the last election uh, wrote a book on it takes a village to raise a child or to raise children. And she had that about half right. It, it is more than just the nuclear family, so to speak, that has impact upon our children. But community that's Christian, from the passage I just read you, is going to be radically different than any other community there is because it's a community that fleshes out and lives out the reality of new life we find in Jesus Christ. And so Paul tells us that we are members of one another. That is, more than a member of a club, the Greek word milos was the common word for a part of the human body. Paul is saying you are the limbs and organs of one another. You are the eyes, the arms, and the heart of one another. Believers then are profoundly interdependent. In ourselves, we are radically incomplete. God made us to be social creatures, to have relationships. The image of God in man is a being in relationship. The triune God is a tri-personal God in relationship. Our being like Him is, means that we are human beings made for relationships. First with Him, then also out of that relationship gross relationship with others that are in him as well. When Paul says, do not lie, for we are members of one another, in Ephesians 4, he means that to tell a lie, and therefore to cut yourself off from other believers, is like stabbing yourself in your vitals. And so the implication of this principle is spelled out in dozens of one another passages found throughout the New Testament. They are everywhere, in particular in both Paul and Peter's letters. They're everywhere of what we're to do to one another as a community. I think it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said this, our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. Christian brotherhood is a spiritual, not a human reality. In this, it differs from all other communities. D.A. Carson says, What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together, because they have all been loved by Jesus himself, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. And so 
in the message today, I've selected three things that I think are important in learning to live in Christian community, which will produce sanctification in every believer. In other words, sometimes other believers are like sandpaper to us. They may be a little irritable and they may brush up against us the wrong way, but God uses other believers and what they say and how they engage with us to produce in us that which could never be produced alone by ourselves. And so that is why Christian community is so significant. So there are three things that I wanted to talk about. The first broad category of community building can be said really about how to be friends with other people. And the first one has to do with affirmation. We are to affirm one another. And exactly what does that mean? Well, according to Romans chapter 12, we're to affirm each other's strengths or abilities or gifts. This is a general mindset that loves to praise and appreciate and make supportive statements. In other words, it is to catch people being good and then to affirm them in it. More specifically, it is a deliberate practice of identifying in our friends where they are growing and making progress and as a result of that, speaking to them. What talents and gifts they have that benefit others what sacrifices and efforts they are making to do the right things that other people may not see. All of this, according to Romans 12.10, is to give honor to the other. When these uh, three things, fruits, gifts, and sacrifices, are confirmed and affirmed in community, then um, the community is greatly uh, growing. Romans 12 verses 1 through 8 takes as a whole, taken as a whole, indicates we should appreciate each other's very different gifts and abilities, not despising those who are different. The opposite of affirming and honoring and a spirit like that is what James 5 9 alludes to when he says, uh, grumbling against one another. He alludes to the word grumble, which is gogizo in the Greek, which kind of sounds like grumbling if you do it like this, gogizo, gogizo. But anyway, that, it means to grumble. It means to sigh or to groan. There's a way to show uh, exasperation and disdain in a way that makes others feel not simply critiqued, but belittled, made to feel small and marginal. You get enough of that out there. The church should be a haven where people are encouraging one another and affirming each other's important, uh, importance in Christ. The general mindset that refuses to be impressed with the world status ladders or pecking orders in the world some classes, some races, some vocations and cultures have more power than others. We know that. But the Bible calls us in a number of places to refuse to let those distinctions in the church control us within the church. Specifically, this is a deliberate practice of building relationships with other believers across traditional cultural barriers. And doing that is a sign that the kingdom of God is already here, that it has come. I think of my own rearing 
and growing up in a small town in Tennessee, there are basically two people, two races. There are white people and black people. And I think I could count on my hand last night four families that were Jewish in town. But the rest of it was white people 51%, black people 49%. I understood both of those cultures. But look at what's sitting in front of me now. They're all different kinds of cultures here, which I think is an amazing sign that the gospel is being preached and that the kingdom of God has come. There is so much we can learn and grow in relating to one another. Romans 15.7 is a remarkable verse that will repay sustained reflection. Think of how Christ has accepted us. We are to accept one another in the same way that Jesus has accepted us. And his acceptance is quite different than the modern and postmodern notion of tolerance. Jesus says, tolerate each other the way I've tolerated you. No, accept. Now we know that Jesus doesn't ignore our faults. Not at all. He insists out of love that we change them. His directive to us, however, are put in the larger context of an absolute and unconditional commitment to us. For example, we are to be toward other people as emotionally loving and accepting and welcoming and concerned for the least gifted as for the most gifted and we're to we are forbidden to show any kind of favoritism to the rich over the poor I mean the only place in the world you would ever find that should be in the church And while we are already in the kingdom, we're not completely yet fully uh, in the kingdom. The kingdom has come, but it will come in the future. We are growing in these realities in our body. And then the last one, as far as affirming one another, that I found out of Romans 12, is visible affection, showing affection. Let me tell you this story. I once pastored a church in Mississippi while I went to seminary and there were 19 widows in this church 19 of them and the church only had like 120 people 19 of them were widows and so I would stand in that's where I got into the habit of hugging people at the back door because I used to didn't do that because I didn't want to violate personal space and I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable and then living in our litigious culture right now if you happen to even indicate you might touch up against somebody you could get in real trouble so I used to just distance myself with a handshake but two of those old ladies told me nobody touches me all week not one single person ever touches me not a squeeze on the arm not a shake of the hand not a pat on the back nobody touches me and I said well I'll give you a hug and so I started hugging them And then the next thing I knew, everybody else in the church started hugging each other. And it was a wonderful thing. And you know where the line is, but we're to show affection for one another. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have love for one another. And the way we do that in the New Testament era was to greet one another with a holy kiss or with a kiss of love. It was a customary thing of the day. But the command is to communicate affection in a visible way. Some cultures, granted, are more emotionally expressive than others. And in general, women 
generally speaking, are more emotionally expressive than some men I know. And it's appropriate for different people groups to choose different ways to communicate love and affection, but they must do it. In order for community to be Christian, we must do it. Express affection for one another and love for one another. We, we cannot be cold and clipped and abrupt and indifferent and harsh with one another. More than that, we have to willing, willingly uh, talk about our love for each other. Sometimes we just say, see you later, when what we really mean is, I'll miss you when you're gone. And so those are very important things. Affirmation. The church, in order to be the body of Christ and to be the community that God intends it to be, has to affirm each other. But the second idea that I get from Romans chapter 12, uh, uh, learning to build community in the church, is how to be a family. And we are to share one another's space, goods, and time. That is, it's a willingness to share one's physical, material world with other people the way family members do. Specifically, the practice includes sharing space with one another. Unlike students who only share a classroom or colleagues who only share an office, Christians are to invite one another into their living spaces. Isn't that an interesting idea? And I know you women have been studying uh, hospitality. And, and, and they're not simply to do one thing, but all of life practices together. This means eating, studying, playing, praying together. Second, it means sharing one another's goods with one another. In the most practical ways, we help one another. It may mean doing practical errands or giving financial gifts for needs or providing other needs in concrete ways. Third, it means sharing common time together. This means being available to one another as well as a commitment of meeting together with regularity. If the only contact you have with church is for the space of an hour and a half on Sunday morning, you're missing God, and you're missing the gospel, and you're missing the community. The church must be connected. And you say, well, I don't get anything out of it. Well, then come and share your wonderful self with us. You may not get anything out of sitting down and talking to me for an hour, but I might get something out of talking to you for an hour or having a cup of coffee with you or sharing a meal with you because you have something to offer. Don't always think about what I get out of it. Think about what I can give toward. That's community that's Christian. Now, um, these things uh, fulfill the New Testament as it tells us that we are to do good to one another uh, in terms of material help. Sometimes it means providing money, shelter, or practical help for life needs. Another way we share within the body of Christ is sharing one another's needs and problems. Sharing resources and possessions is one way to become vulnerable to others in a community. But many who are willing to share resources are not willing to be transparent and open about their own problems and struggles, material, emotional, and spiritual. So the Bible calls us to that as well. We're to not, we are to let others in on our grief and our weakness and allow them to give us their love and support. On the other hand, we're not to avoid sufferers for fear that they will drain us 
and suck the life out of us. I know that when I was in seminary, we preachers often spoke of ministry black holes where there was just an inexhaustible need and you, you almost for survival had to figure out how you could operate in that thing. But if you don't watch out, you're hardening your heart from real opportunities to reach out to people. There are people who are hurting. There are people who have needs and support. And Galatians 6 tells us to bear one another's burdens. And we need to think about how we help people carry a load that's too heavy for them. To bear a burden means to come under it and let some of the weight of it and some of the responsibility of it and the pain come upon you. In other passages, we are called to encourage one another, which is the Greek word parakaleo, which means to come alongside another person and support them and encourage them in life's journey. And so, as you begin to see, a church is not a club. It's an opportunity for sharing, an opportunity for affirming, an opportunity, as we will see in a moment, for serving one another. Sharing one another's belief, thinking, and spirituality. Another category of community building practices has to do with developing unity of mind and heart in the gospel. Christians are called to study and teach the Bible to one another, to pray and sing God's praises with one another, and to take the sacrament of the Lord's Supper together. All of this has the effect of creating a unity of belief and heart in the glory of the gospel. So this means on the one hand there's an intellectual component to Christian community. We are to constantly discuss and apply God's word to ourselves. And in doing so we develop unity in the faith. Romans 12:16 says, "Become of the same mind means to work to come to a consensus on issues." Uh, Ephesians 4 tells us that we're not to be blown away by every wind of human uh, doctrine, but speaking the truth in love, the whole body is joined and knit together. We practice together, and we major our unity in the majors of the gospel where we might disagree with minors. In our culture right now, in the American culture, there is a radical intolerance and a radical division between political parties right now. Not so much that there, there can't even be debate. There's so much anger and so much hostility that you can't come around the table and do simple things. And the church should stand in contradistinction to all of that. For example, some of you may hold a different view regarding Israel and its place in redemptive history than I do. Or some of you may not believe the, in, about baptism the same thing that I do. Or some of you may not hold as strongly to some of the Reformed theology that I do. But, but that doesn't give me the right to, to diss you or roll my eyes at you or act like you're inferior or you're not, you know, you're not hip enough. Uh, you're harsh in my buzz, so to speak, theologically. I couldn't think of anything else to say, so that just jumped in. But I think you understand what I'm saying, right? As part of the church, we are to be unified as much as there is within us. 
Uh, Paul spoke to two women in the Philippian church. You know, forever in the history of redemption, there are two women's names in the Bible that were fighting in church. One of them's name was Euodia, and the other was Syntyche. I think they were fighting over their names, maybe. I don't know what they were fighting over. But Paul calls them out on it. He calls them out. And he urges those two women to agree with one another in the Lord. Now, that doesn't sound like he's saying decide which view of, is right, but rather, despite your disagreement in minors, agree in the majors, that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, if a church draws the boundaries of what we believe too far out, that is, not existing on any doctrinal unity at all, the community of the church will be non-existent. If, on the other hand, the church draws its boundaries too narrowly, making rather minor things major, that is, views of end times, politics, etc., the community of that church will constantly be interrupted through fighting, unless it remains extremely tiny. I remember uh, in seminary, I went to seminary with a guy who was, he had very strong convictions about everything. And one of my professors was listening to him talk one day, and he said, well, if you keep that up, pretty soon your church can meet in a phone booth. And after that, it'll simply be under your hat. Lighten up. Chill out. Stop majoring in the minors. And the third broad category of community building in the church can be said about how to be servants, how to be friends, how to be family, how to be servants. Serving one another through accountability. Uh, we've mentioned that we must be willing to let others in the community know about our problems and our needs, but more specifically, we must allow ourselves to be accountable to others to live as we should, even in the more private areas of our life. In particular, we must be willing to admit where we're struggling with besetting sins and to look to the community to help us overcome them. This aspect of community building is fraught with dangers on either side. On, on the one hand, some churches have used this practice abusively, demanding people make all sorts of sins and problems completely public. They have also held people accountable for the details in their lives, down to when a person is allowed to miss church by traveling on a weekend. I remember uh, I had a friend who was developing a house church. He was a pastor of a house church, and he was one of these radically accountable kind of guys. He didn't try it on me, but he did it in his church. If he tried it on me, he wouldn't have been my friend very long, but he tried it in the church, and they had to get his permission on who they could date or where they could go and travel or what kind of job they had. Every decision they made in life had to be submitted to him and he had to decide it. Now we're not talking about that kind of thing. That's ridiculous. But on the other hand, a more balanced approach would be to have a believer voluntarily develop a circle of Christian friends to whom he or she is regularly accountable for areas of behavior that are especially challenging. Sometimes that's helpful, or in which self-deception is easy. So uh, we need a group of Christian friends uh, uh, of connectedness so that 
we can learn how to live out our faith and deal with our spiritual failures and to exhort each other daily lest we be hardened by our deceitful hearts and our hidden sins. And so we are to admonish and lovingly confront one another. But let me suggest this. Before you admonish and lovingly confront another person, you first need to admonish yourself and lovingly confront yourself. I remember I was in a revival service in a church in Tennessee, and it was one of those services in which the pastor was insisting that the reason why the Spirit wasn't working in the church was because people had disagreements in the church. And I was sitting there racking my brain going, well, all right, who do I not like or who have I said something about? And I, I was scraping at the bottom, and I hadn't really, didn't really have any of that, except the uh, youth minister of the church came up to me during that service, and the guy encouraged us to go tell people, you know, to get right with one another. Well, I didn't know I was wrong with him. But he came up and he looked at me, and I was a relatively new Christian. He says, I just wanted to tell you that I hate you. And he said, I don't like your personality. And I went, well, there's not much I can do to change that. <laughs> he said, well, I just want you to know that I hate you. And, and I said, I got it. I got it. I realize you hate me. And then some other people came up and confessed that they'd said things about me and whatever. And it was very unsettling to me very unsettling. I almost thought about, well, you know, I'm going to go find another group of people. These people don't like me. You've got to be careful with this kind of stuff. You've got to be wise. You've got to pray for the other person. You've got to consider yourself before you point out anything in anyone's life. Now, we can serve one another through forgiveness and reconciliation. This community building practice is so important that it's the, we should have the mindset of never giving up on anyone in the Christian community. We must never tire of repenting and forgiving and seeking to repair our relationships. Matthew 25, 5, 23 tells us we should go to someone if we know they have something against us. Matthew 18, 15 says we should approach someone if we know they have something against us. Matthew 18 says we should approach someone if we know that we have something against them. In short, it's always your move to repair relationships in the community. Ephesians 4.2 tells us to put up with one another. This means we have to be patient and forbearing with small irritations. And so we have to learn to, uh, to not... Uh, provoke each other, look down on each other, disdain somebody because they're not maybe as intelligent as you or they don't have the right views or the proper behavior or the looks or the status that you have. To envy means to feel inferior to, to resent because someone has more intelligence, education, looks, and status than you. Both attitudes breed conflicts and unreconciled relationships. And so the Bible always tells us it is our responsibility to go. I know uh, one church I pastored, I decided to visit everybody on the rolls of the church who had not been there since the year I had been there. And so I went out. And I would meet them in their home, and they were always real glad to see me. Well, I've heard a lot about you, and it's all been good, and, you know. 
We, we did weather reports and all kinds of stuff. And then I would say, well, I've noticed since I've been there, you haven't been to church. And all of a sudden, it was like a demon-possessed person. It was like this person's whole personality, their visage, everything about them changed. And then they would tell me how someone in that church had hurt them 20 years ago. And they knew it was just like it happened yesterday. And they started vomiting out all this detail of how they were wounded. And so when they would finish, I would go, well, that must have hurt a lot. Yes, it did. I said, have you ever gone to them and asked, uh, confronted them and let them know that they hurt you? No. I said, have you ever hurt anybody in that church? I don't know. Maybe. I said, did you ever go to them and ask forgiveness? No. I said, so you tell me, 20 years, you've dropped out of the church because somebody hurt you. I said, what if Jesus decided on the way to the cross, I'm not doing this, you hurt my feelings. I said, come on. And what I generally realize is that person did not understand their need for forgiveness and how offensive they had been toward the Lord. And so they had held on to that anger. I mean, some of, the, some of the people, you could strike a match on their face. They were so hard and bitter and hurt. And in the community, we need to major on forgiving and coming to reconciliation. And, and we need to get rid of conflicts that are, are condemning and judgmental and full of harsh language. Condemnation. Uh, is criticism which seeks to punish and marginalize and get rid of a person. And finally, we're to learn to serve one another's interest rather than our own. And this is a general mindset of putting the needs and interests of other people in the community ahead of yours. And this is a classic servant's heart. This means deliberately look for needs around you of all sorts and find ways to meet those needs through loving action, seeking as little in the way of recognition as possible. Paul tells us we are bond slaves of one another. Extending the metaphor, Paul says that we owe one another love as a kind of debt. Because Christ humbled himself and became a servant and met our deepest needs, even at the cost of his own life, now we are bond servants, but to one another. We owe everyone a debt of love. And so, there's a sense in which this is not so much another community building practice as the motive and dynamic beneath every other practice. And so in order for us to build up our brothers and sisters is not simply to give them whatever they ask for, but we are to please them for their good in order to build them up. Let me ask you this. Sometimes we think great people are the people who are in authority and have a lot of people under them who respond to them and do their bidding. But the Bible says greatness is not how many people you're over, it's how many people you're under serving. How many people are you serving right now? How many people in this body have you stepped out of your own comfort zone and your own convenience and out of your own resources have attempted to serve one another? Now, as a pastor, I probably get a skewed 
vision of this because many people reach out to serve me and help me and encourage me and comfort me. But look around you. Are there needs that you have the gifts to meet, but you're not connected? You don't understand you're part of a community. So we are not to enter community building simply to f make ourselves uh, feel needed and connected, but we're to do so in order to build one, one another up. In other words, the church should be a place where you're making friends. The church should be a place that is like your family, but only better. And the church should be a place where you're serving one another. Most people have a consumer mindset. When they ask themselves about going to a church, the first thing they think, because I run into this a lot, is what can your church do for me? How can your church help for me? What have you got to offer me? That is not the language of a servant. The church takes consumers and hopefully through the power of the gospel turns them into servants. So one of the ways we're sanctified in community building is we learn how to get out of ourselves. In other words, we need a love that is powerful enough to overcome our self-love, to overcome our self-interest, and impel us out of, our, out of ourselves. Paul put it this way. He says uh, in 2 Corinthians, the love of Christ constrains us, impels us, moves us out of ourselves to love each other. So let me encourage you, as you think about the church in this coming year, how integrated are you? How connected are you? How committed are you? How much service are you doing? It's easy, easy, easy. The only thing you have to do to lose all of that is nothing. You can lose it just like that. But in order to be integral and connected to the community, and by the way, I will say this over and over, we need you, every single one of you, to be the church Christ has called us to be. You think about that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Word of God it's true, and because it's true, it's exposing. It cuts to the quick. It cuts to the uh, deepest recesses of our heart and shows us what we're all about and then calls us to repent of our sin and selfishness and to become to one another, brothers and sisters, who affirm each other, who share with each other, and who serve one another. Now, Father, as we continue to worship you, may we give as people who understand we are members of each other. And I pray in Christ's name, amen.